Hello, long-relating listeners. Today we have a hmm, just a just a what I was gonna say a hunk of a man. I mean, really, like he he's more than that. He's uh, he's just a beautiful, beautifully hearted man. Uh, old friend of mine, Raven Wells, a mentor. Uh, he's been he's been at this game, this this art of therapy, of coaching, of guiding for decades. In this episode, he gives a he's one of those guys that just everything that kind of comes out of his mouth is uh, it's from his heart. It's a story. It's kind of this story like quality to it. Uh, yeah, he goes into the story of his his entry into guiding, working with young, at-risk youth, and what he learned from that. And then we get in the meat of it, you know, this this great the great challenge of, of how to navigate relationship, intimate relationship, how to assess whether a relationship is is viable. You know, what does that look like? And uh, I won't go any more into that. Hopefully, hopefully I've uh, wet, wetted your palate, and you'll want to dive in and dive into this conversation with me and Raven. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Raven Wells. Thank you. Thank you for having. Me. Yeah, yeah. It's really sweet. It's really great to have an excuse to to reconnect and. Um, so I'm just going to start by asking you to introduce yourself, um, a little bit of your background and uh, what you're uh, what you're really passionate about these days in particular, and uh, turn it over to you. Wow, who am who I? Who are you again? Wow. In, in two minutes <laughs> in or two less, minutes. a complete <laughs> and thorough report. Um, you know when I'm when somebody's first coming in and they're asking my background, I start actually with that. I was a bartender and I worked in the backcountry a lot when I was really young twenties, yeah. early twenties. Yeah. I didn't know that. And me. I consider it yeah. part of my training. Cause I actually, it'd be a toss up whether years of college was more useful to my understanding of human nature than years of bartending. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And, right. and then the backcountry is a similar thing. There's a, something that happens when you take people, when I say backcountry, like there were programs that last anywhere from 30 to 60 days. So you'd be taking people back out for long periods of time, mostly um, young, you know, the category was youth at risk. And a lot of them had never been in the backcountry. And there's just so much that happens to a human being when you take them out of their ordinary context, right? And so I learned a lot about myself and about others and loved. And it's what started me into psychotherapy was got involved with a program that did um, court-ordered youth at risk who were addicted and or gang-related. And so they were city kids who had a choice between going to jail or going to this program they're sent into this program and they're going through withdrawals and they're in an environment that's totally out of their norms. And there was a lot of turmoil that summer. I hadn't worked any kind of a program like that before. And as people were going through things, I'm like, this is over my head. So I, 
I need some school. And I went back to school, specialized in addiction and then eventually trauma. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth. And I was fortunate to have some really amazing mentors in both fields. Spent about you worked with yeah. Pat Ogden, right? No. And she's amazing. I mean, I cannot mm-hmm. say enough about yeah. I got to do the two-year training and then two years worth of assisting. And then I got to be a videographer for her for a while. She liked my particular style. So I taped a lot of her sessions and I did the teacher track training. And so went on yeah. to really get tight with the whole crew that's now Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. Started off as Hakomi Integrative Somatics. Um, and then Eric Wolterstorff, who's now Dr. Eric Wolterstorff, who's getting his doctorate at the time, was an assistant in that training. And he branched off to form Trauma Dynamics Institute. And I was, I wouldn't call myself a co-founder because it was his genius and his work, but I was instrumental in helping him ground it. And I was there through the first teachings and the first courses, and I got to see his work and He's kind of a Ken Wilber-esque character who's he had mm. learned under Peter Levine and learned under Pat and studied under others. And he had taken the whole field and added a lot of brilliance to it and a lot of context to it that I, didn't, I don't think anyone else had up until that point to the degree that he had. So I just feel grateful for, as I was getting started, I happened to stumble into some of the the high-level I would say cutting edge um, thought leaders in the field. Um, And it affected me deeply. I loved doing the work and I became a victim of my own. So if we're going for background on me, and I think you may know this part, I'm not sure. My first pass for six years as a psychotherapist, I ended up specializing more and more in trauma over addiction, although they're a subset of each other. And, um, the better I got, the more my colleagues would refer their harder clients. I had a particularly well-built disposition to deal with trauma and to keep learning skills that would help. And so as I got better, you know, colleagues are just like, I can't deal with this person. Could you take them in your practice? I'm like, sure, you know, bring them in. Towards the end, it was really heavy. I just had a constitution of people in my practice that were struggling to survive, that they were suicidal, they were in and out of institutions. Um, I would lose clients every once in a while to suicide. I finally got overwhelmed and had to step away and realized I had recreated my own unconscious family of origin stuff where I was the youngest of nine in a very dysfunctional family, lots of alcoholism and abuse and whatnot. And it's like, huh, it's amazing. The theater that we create for ourselves yeah. to get the lessons we need. So I got mm. a lot of deep healing <laughs> stepping away. Um, and then I went and specialized in group um, systems theories that applies to groups, did a lot more group work. And eventually um, again, through the push of colleagues, they were like, you know, you need to be working one-on-one with people. It's kind of your, your gig. It's where your special, capacities come out and so i reopened as a coach and there's it's actually a, to me a significant difference i have deep respect for psychotherapy um and deep respect for coaching and 
in honesty, most coaches do some psychotherapy and most psychotherapists do some coaching. So there's always overlap, but the container is different. Um, I'm much more skills like my, particularly in Boulder where there's a lot of psychological sophistication, I found that the issue is rarely insight anymore. Like most couples coming to me, most individuals coming to me have a lot of self-understanding. They just can't change the patterns. So I became particularly fascinated with pattern change and how do you help somebody who can see what they're doing? It's if you paralleled this, it's a little like when I was first taught that eating sugar, you know, sugar was not a good thing. You know, as an American kid, I grew up just pounding sugar and then somebody suggested, you know, this is, isn't the best thing for your immune system and all the rest of it. So now I have the awareness but I have all these habits of eating sugar and I don't like the idea of having to change them. And it took, it was a lot harder to change the habits than it was to just learn that sugar was bad for you. And I find that to be the case in this kind of work where it's like, it's easy to sit in an office and say, well, here's why you're doing what you're doing and here's what you should be doing differently. That's like the cheap stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah, I mean that, and that's the uh, that's the 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 new I don't know as I see it at least like the 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 new the new paradigm of uh, of personal growth work of couples work is the recognition that um, that insight is 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 not enough that that we are still at the end of the day biological yeah animals <laughs> that have some deep entrainment. Um, it's tricky though. I mean, isn't it, uh, I, I imagine you just experience it as a, as a, I, I, maybe I'm projecting my own experience on you. I certainly am, but like how that it's a, there's just a, cause sometimes a really fun nut to crack yeah. in a sense when, when there's a lot of complexity and, and people are, um, swimming in their own, um, you know, deep contemplation of their issues and their habits and how to drill down and actually find find actually the core simple elegant uh, intervention that's going to actually move this yeah. system towards towards healing towards higher functioning it's i mean it's part of what i love is particularly and i'm half ending the last question and half answering this one is when i restarted up as a coach i ended up focusing on couples more and more um there was a natural feeder situation where people were still sending me, you know, folks with trauma issues and folks with addiction issues. But I started studying more couples dynamics and I love the complexity of what happened. It's there's so much more when you just add one more person and their dynamics between each other, the way they co-influence each other. And, what I call induction, the way they induce each other into the, what they're familiar with. Um, that I really started loving the complexity of what happens when there's a couple in front of you and they think the conversation they're having is the conversation they're having. When in actuality, there's all these unseen forces at work up under their unconscious dynamics between each other and dynamics within each other. And, trying to crack that nut is like, you know, I can do that for the rest of my career. And 
there's days when I'm like, I'm riding this pretty well. I'm using my skills. This is good. And there's days when I'm like, wow, I'm right here with you guys. Like, this is a tricky, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to make it out of these woods. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Feel you. Feel you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some days like, wow, I'm just, I'm just amazing. Right. I'm just Oh, just shifting patterns and then other days, right? Just feeling how thick it gets mm-hmm. and how, uh, right, yeah, deep in the yeah. forest. And yeah, yeah. And uh, where, where are you? Um, so that's, that's your focus now. And what, what's, um, where do you see it going? That's a good question. I'd like... To see, like because I'm focusing more on skills than anything, right? I'd like to be able to put together somewhat the goal in the next few years is to start putting together classes that a couple can take with other couples online. And they have a menu first. They're just like, oh, I want to learn some how to identify my attachment style and how to work with it within the relationship. So there's a class in there. I want to learn how to deal with um, systemic issues, um, like social justice issues, how they play out in that just the male-female part or the male-male or the female-female or the one of them was raised poor and the other wasn't. And all the influences that culturally speaking can come in and unconsciously be affecting the couple or a course on trauma dynamics where it's like, okay, here's how these work. And here's the unseen forces of trauma in the way that they can often play out and the tools to work with them or a course on communication styles and basic communication, right? Like I want to be able to offer couples a place to land, look through a menu begin to identify, oh, this is probably the thing that would get us the most bang for our buck and unlock some of our difficulties with each other. And so they can then choose and do a course. And, and then if they want to come get more therapy, they can. But I want it to be more available to more people instead of just the people I see during the week. Right. I'm imagining that there are uh, times where you feel um, like it would be great if some of the couples you're seeing had had support, had had other couples around them that were normalizing yeah. their experience, or but or and also that you didn't have to just repeat certain kind of mm-hmm. educational. Yeah, there's pieces. a lot of psychoeducation when you head more and more towards skills building. Is explaining the context of why, you know, where they are, which skills are more useful. And I do a lot of repetition of that. And I feel like people learn differently. And so the, I preferred if they could go and hear it again or watch it and hear it when they're not in the office or when they're not in front of their partner and it helps the iteration helps it take, right. And then have a a systematized approach of just here's the skills have been introduced to you. Here's a small worksheet. 
comes with the course, you identify where you are and you rate yourself on the skills and then you develop them and you build them and you know, and it would save a lot of hours yeah. and time in here if, right? Mm -hmm. come for yeah. And be more, be more exactly. affordable. That's the thing. For the company. Right. I think the thing that stops yeah. a lot of people from getting the support they need is that it's time and money away from their lives. It's not easy to take time off work to come into a therapist's office, a coach's office. Right. And it's sure. expensive. Yeah. And some part of me is like, I think this could be done at a much greater scale and affect far more people and in formats that are actually easier to learn. And then you can come in and mm -hmm. get that customized real right. high impact yeah. session work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I th I'm thinking of the, the cultural ish, uh, history of, you know, therapy couples work being understandably, uh, yeah. held privately. Right. And or what you're pointing to is this, this ch challenge, that, which, or this cultural shift that I, I do see is happening, that there's a, just more and more of a normalization a recognition that, all of us, all of us couples are yeah. going through it at times, uh, don't have certain skills developed and there's no shame in that. And let's get together and skill yeah. build together. Um, that cultural shift. That's what I'm super yeah. passionate about because I can see how that infiltrated my own relationship and you know, how that, that weird thing of like, I should know how to do this, even though my parents didn't model it, even though there's very few couples that are actually mm -hmm. that <laughs> successful <laughs> right. on all levels, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I would combine that. Like, yeah. I think the, the paradigm is shifting and it, in my mind, I couldn't shift it fast enough that it's like a failure. If you're struggling within your relationship, like the, this culture does couples no favor with its media representation of the ideal, you know, fond love, live in an everlasting honeymoon and never have any problems. And if you do, it's a, a sign of your pathology. Like there's something wrong with you if, if your honeymoon doesn't last forever. And it's such, <laughs> it's so the reverse, right? Like, mm if we're going to be a little more honest about it, I like to joke with my clients. I'm like, there's some way in which our cultural message would say, look, you know, the forces that be set up a, a system inside each of us during that initial falling in love period where it bathes us in neurochemistry that makes us okay. incapable of seeing all the red flags and all the dynamics that we're likely to face long enough to fall in love with each other and possibly get a child out before all that stuff comes up. Cause otherwise you wouldn't do relationship. And, and then once it shows right. up, the truth is amongst all the things that you're going to face in your life, intimacy dynamics are going to be more binding and difficult to unravel than anything else that you'll ever dance with. And to get to mature love is a long, beautiful, but hard work process that a lot of people never get to because they're busy, disappointed that they're not happy, happy all the time and that their honeymoon ended and they don't have the skills to deal with the difficult dynamics. And so they get reactive, they get in their dynamics and they give up. 
And I think the culture fails people in that messaging. And I do think it's changing, but it can't change fast yeah. enough. Yeah. 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 And it has such really significant cultural impacts, you know, uh, particularly my mind always goes to just how yeah. many families yeah. fall but apart, you know, that fall out of that. Yeah. Just Huge painful. and painful. The children that get raised then, right, with between houses and yeah, it's such a bizarre, we've moved to this dyadic situation where the assumption is you pair off, right? And one of my mentors used to call it the cult of pairs. And you rely on all your needs from one other person. You bury yourself in the deepest intimacy dynamics that you have working unconsciously. And then it blows up on you and you feel like your whole world is shattered because the one person you've been relying on, you're no longer with, right? And the setup itself blows out the really, like, if we were smart about this, every couple would have some community around them so that their needs are at least getting dispersed amongst several people instead of the pressure of this one person is the source of all my needs, sets up codependency right. and all sorts of dynamics. It puts too much pressure on the system. Right. 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 And it, you know, a system like that, right. It naturally has a yeah. great deal of pressure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think of, uh, I think of a couple of, um, evenings where I would, that pressure had just <laughs> gotten too intense and I'd fortunately, you know, had, had my men's group, one night you know, and and it could just feel like how how much that pressure was released because because i could be more of myself i you know i could, I could be a guy you know when, <laughs> when i'm day in day out you know to to uh females mm -hmm. and um and then being able to come back and have that have that bandwidth or have that resiliency i mean just just so essential in thinking of how many, well, just thinking in this case, like how many men, you know, end up just kind of gravitating around the household, you know, and that their, their, their role as, as father and husband, par partner. Yeah. Without yeah. enough community. And like you say, mm -hmm. not only did it release the pressure, right? It gave you a chance to be yourself in a, in a way that you can't be all yourselves in your relationship, right? The, the brilliance right. of community is somebody will bring out some creative side, some, you know, maybe you love to watch sports. So you have some people you watch some sports with, maybe you love to go to museums and your partner doesn't. And there's no one person can create an environment when you can explore all the aspects of yourself that you need to, or meet all your needs. And when you go to the men's group, almost assuredly somewhere in there, some will be another man saying, woof, I went through something like that. And then it normalizes like, yeah, you need to get a break. Mm -hmm. And these dynamics are hard and it's okay. And the community carries the relationship yeah. through. Like, yeah, what I would, what I would wish, you know, to be, to kind of, be inserted into that is that how the community carries it through yeah. though. I mean, because I'm thinking of how, how we don't, we're, we're still developing the kind of understanding right. we're talking about. So 
without that, there can be a tendency to collude in, in, in the victimization and, and the story and the inability of friends or, you know, uh, or your, 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 right. your circle, you know, it's a men's circle or whatever to not just collude and say, Oh yeah, God, she's, you know, <laughs> she needs to, yeah. You know, and then you're like, yeah. And then you come back home and you're like, so I was, you know, working this shit out in my men's group. And we all agree that basically <laughs> you need to do more work on this yeah. piece. I mean, that happens oh, a lot, unfortunately, wow. because there's not a recognition that uh, I, in this case, am so dilute. <laughs> like I am so in my own yeah. version. I can't see that. It's a completely interdependent dynamic. Completely. completely. And um, that's new, you know, that interpersonal neurobiology, this whole, the whole recognition that any couple is its own co-created, mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, system. And yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I just have a prayer for that recognition more broadly so that, so that, pe- that can people go into the complaint blame mode that they're gently brought in back into reality, that they are equally um, contributive, assuming right. that there isn't major crap going on right. on the other end, you know, abuse or complete denial of Well, and even when there is, like, you know, I've run more than a few men's groups and been in more than a few men's groups, and it's one of the, the metrics that you measure it by is how long – do you allow any one of your members to complain about their relationship before you start asking what their part in it is, right? And there's a fair amount of function in being able to vent as a human being to be able to say, I'm really struggling and here's what I'm struggling with. And it's like, okay, you get some time to, to offload some of what's in your emotional body. That's an important function. But if it ends in just some form of you poor guy, right? You are colluding. Mm -hmm. And most men's groups start there. It takes some outside facilitate, somebody going to a workshop, somebody bringing in this idea of, look, we're not doing that in this group. Like you don't get to, this is not a complaint session about your partner. This is a support session for you and seeing Uh your part of the dynamics. And in an ideal circumstance, anyone in a men's group who's partnered, their partner gets once a season to come in and speak their side of things. So the men get the full deal. Like that intervention Mm -hmm. always brightens the eyes of everyone. They're like, what you said this. And she said, dude, (laughs) right? Right. You were totally pulling the wool over our eyes and misinforming us and misrepresent. Right leaving key things out. Yeah. And then the men's group can be supportive and like, okay, so where's your edge and how do we help you work it? Mm -hmm. This is a a bit bit of a good uh, segue into this question. That's just really up for me. And I'm writing about it because I, I I just think it's so essential is, is how a cup, how a couple comes to a, an, an, an accurate assessment or like, a diagnosis of whether their relationship is viable, oh, wow, yeah. right? Because people I notice are like, 
are certain, you know, they're going to their individual therapists that, you know, they come to me sometimes and, and, and try and work, you know, try and get it, get that, get that, that, that assessment. And what I, what I'm, I'll just lay out what I, what I've kind of briefly, what I've kind of come to is, is that there, there are actually certain practices and um, com, uh, commitments that need to be made first in order to have an accurate di- right. diagnostic. And people go prematurely, like you were saying earlier, they, they're so in, in their ideal and, and, or, you know, and they're, they're in the rough and tumble sort of, uh, pain of the relationship. So they start going prematurely and maybe this isn't the right relationship, but they haven't actually oriented properly and started the, the practices of the, you know, that right. we could lay out, but right. You, you know what I'm referring to? Um, yeah. So curious about your, um, your thoughts on that. There's a, a both and in that for me is first, I would say that the bulk of couples wait until their relationship is at risk to get support. Right. Um, and by that time, their dynamics are pretty hardwired with each other and, their stories about each other, their narratives about each other are pretty hardwired, which is a huge part of the answer to that question is if, and I'm going to segue several ways to answer this question because my mind is the way it works. Um, You know, one of the skills that I work with with couples in communication is narratives, the narrative, the story they're in about each other. And I work with that in any communication training now before I work on speaking and listening skills and formats for communication to happen is that the evidence and the more research is coming out on this is that the attitude that you enter with the story that you enter with is actually the bigger predictor of the outcome in your next bout of communication than any of the skills or the other factors. Right. And it's a right. Very much like sporting analogies where if you're about to shoot the free throw and in your mind, you're like, I think I'm going to go left and the crowds and I'm a little scared. Well, your chances go down exponentially of making that shot. And if you're visualizing it going in, they go up exponentially, right? And there's this way of once we're in our core dynamics with our partner, part of what's happened is we have all this data and our skewed imported history that emphasizes data and distorts other data. It doesn't let some information in and exaggerates others. And it solidifies an expectation of what's going to happen in the relationship, a story about our partner. He, she's just too fill in the blank, not enough fill in the blank. And when we go to talk, he, she's just going to blah, blah, right? And when you enter with this sort of head down limiting expectation of your partner it tends to be what you draw out of your partner the same is true of the relationship in general by the time couples come a lot of the can it work or not comes down to amongst all these other pieces of like let's get you in let's get you working let's assess what your core dynamic is let's look at the different unseen forces that are feeding into it Let's build you a roadmap to get going and let's let you walk it for a while before you even start to begin thinking about ending the relationship. That's the ideal. 
But somewhere in there, what you're really looking at is if one of the other partners can't change the, the story of whether this is viable, it won't be viable. Right. Right. So you can walk down, you can do a lot of things, and some people enter with somewhat of a commitment to the story and or a sense that it's true. And that's not a failure either. That's the interesting part of this, right, is there are certain relationships where people have come together, they've gifted each other, they've had an exchange, and it's it's dying on the vine now, and it's not even appropriate to try to keep it alive on life support when it's natural processes coming apart. And so here is this various, you know, one of the ultimate questions. And, you know, I, I read a lot of my colleagues work on this. And I think as Westerners, we like to think that there's an easy answer or there's an equation to get to an answer like that. And mm-hmm. I think that particular question is really such a gorgeous question. How do you tell whether the relationship's viable? Like, you have to lean in mm-hmm. with somebody, with your community. You have to walk the road a little. And you might find out that it's not just the limiting story. It's that it's the person's deep compass saying, this isn't mine to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't matter if you changed all these outside conditions. There's something in me that's telling me I can't do this. Right. 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 So you have all these, it's not simple to me. Like I I would not tell a couple right away. Here's what I think you should do or not do (laughs) in terms of ending your relationship. I'll be honest with a couple. If I've worked with them for a while, you know, it doesn't appear to me that you guys enjoy being together. It doesn't appear to me you're putting in the work. It appears to me that you're more afraid of letting it go than you are willing to make it work. And as long as that's where you are, you're just going to suffer these dynamics because they will not transform if you're simply hanging on because you're afraid of being alone. Right. That's not enough. You have to want the relationship and be willing to do the work or you suffer the, the dynamics. Those that's just, baseline right right yeah and, and that's yeah i think that that's what i'm i'm, I'm coming to and finding some way to communicate couples to or, you know, or couples or you know or individuals as they grapple with this question like that it really is because there's a beauty and simplicity like you just laid out like my my system settled or i was like that's right that that is the question that would be so wonderful if 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 all those that are, are grappling or questioning a relationship is are are, are really taking taking yeah. deep in, right? right? Sitting with like, am I willing? Am I willing to do the work? Or can I let? Can I actually yeah. let this go? Yeah. Because the in between is is, is yeah. so much suffering, you know, and and I think that there's a. It seems like that there's a um, uh, a notion that's pretty prevalent that maybe it'll just kind of work itself yeah. out. I don't know, you know, maybe not conscious. You know, it's like um, maybe they'll come around or. Um, it's just that human thing of, of, of avoiding 
pain, you know, discomfort, pain, asking for help, uh, avoiding growth and, you know, hoping that hoping. Yeah. Right. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's, mm-hmm. I think we tend to pathologize it, but it's better to embrace or understand that we are creatures of habit that we seek naturally in our conscious some stability and once we find it it's not easy for us to purposely destabilize right sure so some of that is just i'm with this person this is the person i've been with and it's stable even if i don't like it even if i'm unsatisfied i'm stable in my dissatisfaction it's the habit it's what i know and largely if you just look at all of the personal growth arena through the one lens of how willing is a being to go out past their comfort zones and to be, to lose their immediate satisfaction and comfort and stability for longer term capacities and et cetera. This is the question we're always facing as humans. And you can go too far either direction. You can, there are couples and people who are, constantly stretching for the new and they don't allow enough stability and there are couples that are like wait i'm not that would be uncomfortable i'm not doing it and the in my seat there's this humorous like let's let's really weigh discomfort here what you're talking about is you hate your partner you're mad at your partner you spend all day obsessing you vent to your friends you're unhappy you spend hours and hours and hours a day in that discomfort but it would be uncomfortable to have a conversation that might lead to the end of it. So which is the more uncomfortable on the scales here? We're really bad at measuring discomfort. I see this all the time, even in consult used to do a lot of communication work and consulting. And it, I won't go through the whole story, but there's one in particular, I got a lot of pushback in a corporate setting for why would we do the soft skill stuff? Right. And it's a waste of time. And we had tracked down an argument to the key people at the head of this corporation and had over Christmas party while they were drinking six months earlier. And all of the divisions, they had different teams. It created all this split between their teams because it got toxic. They didn't want to talk to each other. So they talked to the employees. It created some professional, real professional cost to them because they ended up on different pages at a pitch and they lost out on a massive contract. And then, that caused even more turmoil. Then they're bringing me in and they're all taking a day off work. And it took them literally 10 minutes to unravel it once they talked about it with some skills. And Mm -hmm. it was one of the more telling moments for them when I was like, you guys spent the whole morning pushing back on this and then you solved it in 10 minutes. And I went down and talked to your accountant. It was somewhere close to $1.7 million you wasted in the last six months, not to mention all the time and energy and pain and you solved it. If you can afford to piss away that much money every 10 minutes, you can keep pushing back on, quote, soft skills, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's such a, that's such a great story to, to kind of, yeah, um, po- point to how, how much hum- the lengths to which humans yeah. will go through to avoid that really, that the vulnerability. vulnerability you know, and the discomfort. That, like, yeah. 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 Being seen and you're just, you know, your, your faults and yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm curious as you were speaking earlier, you know, about, about this, 
the, you know, these, these, these core kind of tendencies in relationship, like whether there's anything, anything you want to share from your own personal journey in relationship that could elucidate it even further. Wow. There's a lot there. Um, I'm going through the Rolodex of things of my own personal, right? Um, mm-hmm. For some reason, because you and I talked about it a little beforehand, there's a piece that I feel among many that couples tend not to have enough of a handle on, and it's the trauma dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so my own background... And I won't go too deep into it. There's some trauma involving my mom. Um, and it set up a deep, deep patterning in my system where I felt I had to be available to the feminine. Or I would get in trouble or be punished, right? Um, and it set up some sexual dysfunction and this... F- trauma dynamic in me where if it's at night and it involves a woman and involves the possibility of sexuality, my system would freeze and I would dissociate to some degree. And I worked at this a lot from the psychological angles without the right tools from the trauma perspective, from the nervous system regulation perspective. And I see it all the time in couples that a lot of what they're facing is that their system is getting triggered into an activation that's about their past. But we, that tends to be one of the hallmarks of trauma is we can't tell future from past in activated states. So I get to these moments at night and my partner's coming towards me and I'm freezing and I'm feeling shame and guilt and all these things. And then inability to act on my own behalf as if I'm young because I am traumatically regressed in those states. Right. And it wasn't until I really got that lens and started working it through that I was able to get my own nervous system, the support it needed to unravel and able interpersonally with my partner to be able at some point to say, Hey, you know, I need to pause here. This isn't your fault, but this setup has triggered something in me where I can't even see you as you anymore. Like I've lost you. And I'm responding to you as if you're some sort of perpetrator or threat to me. And my whole system is shutting down and I'm busy feeling like embarrassed that I've lost all my adult capacities and I don't want to admit any of it. Right. But I need to, and once I paused and learned to do that and learned to calm my nervous system, I was able to come back in sooner and sooner and sooner. Right. And it's just, there's a humility in me for the way in which there's so much deep medicine in relationship and it's so hard to get to so often. And that with just the right help, you can unravel something that you were busy mad at your partner for and mad at the world for and confused about and ashamed about and feeling disempowered about. And then suddenly the right support comes along and you start to unravel it and you don't have to live it anymore. And it might take a long time, but it's still 
that we're back to that equation of if you put in the work, you're free of a of the suffering and the cost benefit analysis. It's worth it more often than not. Right, right, and it's, it's right, and it's it's just a lot um, of unknowns for people. I guess is what I just it's so excruciatingly vulnerable. What like what you just described in, in your in your personal experience? I mean, thinking how many have some version mm -hmm. of that, you know, some early childhood trauma or or adult any any form of trauma is going to show yeah. up in the. In, in the in the in the primary in your primary relationship, and uh, and the, the, like you said, by the nature of trauma is such that it uh, it takes you out of the present, and uh, and the nature of trauma is that it's scary. It's scary, and then it feels like you're being taken over by forces that are too big for you. Like the analogy I often use mm -hmm. is. It acts a lot like riptides, like you're swimming along, same ocean, same stroke, same relationship, right? You're, you're interacting with your partner. And suddenly this force takes you over that's stronger than what you know what to deal with. It's stronger than, right? And when you don't know about riptides, the, the instinctive reaction is to swim against them, is to stay in them and fight them. And that's actually the most dangerous thing you can do. Right. And mm -hmm. trauma dynamics are very similar. You see this all the time with couples where they'll tell you the next morning or before it even happens, if it's late at night and I'm triggered and I'm fighting with my partner, the best thing for me to do would be to walk away. They can say that while they have access to their full capacities and they're not in a traumatized state when they're what we talk about regulated from the top down. Right, where their frontal lobe has the reins over their midbrain and their reptilian brain, they can tell you, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. But once those reins are ripped out and the reptilian brain takes over, you instinctively will stay in the most damaging dynamics in your entire relationship. And you will feel compelled, deeply life or death yeah. compelled that you need to stay in and say this next sentence and do this next thing. When from a physiological standpoint, it's amazing how deep you're being impacted. They now have all the technology and the brain scanning and the blood work to show. In trauma states, you can lose blood flow to your frontal lobe by up to 60%. So you're severely compromised in that capacity. Your nervous system changes entirely, shifts your whole body into fight-flight states that'll change blood flow and neural capacity and so that you've got that going on. Then you've got the neurochemistry that bathes your entire body. I like to use the analogy that, you know, activated trauma states are much closer to diabetic states of low insulin than they are mm. psychological issues. The big mistake people keep making is they evaluate themselves and they try to operate a machinery that's actually really compromised. Like if you were diabetic and you knew it and your partner knew it and you went to dinner and dinner was delayed and you didn't have crackers in your pocket or your purse or wherever, usually you didn't have the little snacks, right? And you started slurring your words from insulin deficiency. You wouldn't then go, what's wrong with me? Why am I so inarticulate? I just need to do blah, blah better. You wouldn't make some psychological assessment of yourself at that point. Right. right? You would right. 
say, I'm low on insulin. This is a serious issue physiologically. I need to get insulin. I need to address it physiologically. And then it would change. Right. But couples get into states all the time where what's going on with them physiologically is as or more severe than that type of a diabetic state. Right. And they don't stop. They keep engaging. They stay in the riptide and they swim against it and it actually deepens the grooves. Right. And then they start training each other's amygdalas, training each other's brains into trauma reactions to each other. It's one of the unseen forces that does the most damage in the shortest amount of time in intimate relationship. And it's a whole different set of skills where like to teach couples to look at, if we're just talking processing skills, there's three main buckets of skill sets in my approach to this when I'm teaching. And the one everybody thinks of is the communication skill set, right? And that is an important set of skills to dip into. I talk about like putting on a hat, like it's my communication skills hat and I go to work and I pick up my communication skills bucket and I pull those out and I take turns and I use eye language and I do, yeah, there's all these standard, right? But there's another set of skills entirely that have to do with recognizing activation, physiological activation, trauma activation in your system, pausing interaction and disconnecting from content, which is incredibly hard. And then down-regulating, working completely on physiologically helping your system to re-regulate, right? And then coming back in a connection and then assessing how close am I to the trauma that I was just in to the activate, to even be able to put on my let's take turns hat again, right? Can I take this kind of topic and our dynamics and bring it back to my system without, you know, reactivating? It's a whole different set of skills. Most couples don't have a whole different. Well, and I'm curious about, I mean, from my training as mm-hmm. a packed therapist, right? Um, the other piece of that is that the partner's also tracking yeah. ideally as mm-hmm. well, right? Like as, as if you had a partner who was diabetic, like I know, mm-hmm. could it be that you're low blood sugar right yeah. now? Do we, you know, do we need yeah. to address that? Similarly, right? The partner becomes more and more uh, skilled and adept at mm-hmm. noticing when dysregulation is happening and then comes in and, and, it uses an ever increasingly uh, effective uh, set of, of, of interventions. Yeah. They wouldn't call them that. I'm such a therapist, but are like of, of, of things yeah. to do to help them regulate. Right. That's like, is that coming close? Is that, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, grabbing their arm? Is that, um, is that singing that song that I mean, endlessly creative in terms of finding ways to bring them out of that brain and into, into regulation. And um, again, like you're saying, you know, most, most couples come to couples work, right. I, I, we need help with our communication Mm -hmm. and and the, the big revolution I feel like that has to happen is we, we need, we need help with how to keep each other like regulated actually by whatever means necessary and then actually communication takes care of itself more often well i mean yeah 
that one I'm mixed on. I, communication can still be very tricky if you're not adapting your skills equally there to what you are to the regulation skills. Uh-huh. But, sure. Right. Yeah. I guess you just have more of a that I'm thinking of how then you right, right. You, you have more of a, um, an ability yeah. to, I know taken for granted my own kind of communication skills or something, but yeah, you have more of an ability to know what words yeah. not to say, um, know the, 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 the necessity mm-hmm. of brevity. At times. Yeah. Um, all of it. So you have much more access to your adult skills to be able to navigate communication. And a lot of it, it goes much easier in some cases does take care of itself. It's true, but mm-hmm. it is, you know, difficult to even the communication between couples there, like you said it, you know, might this be low blood sugar, even the suggestion sometimes that somebody's activated when they're in activated states can cause more defensiveness and more activation. And so it's mm-hmm. tricky to get couples on the same page. And I like your reference. It's you're basically learning to partner at increasingly sophisticated and successful levels is the game. Right. And so if you can get a couples to just say, look, we need, we, we have some regulation stuff going on here. Let's slow down while we're not dysregulated and start to game plan on, next time this happens, what's a way that I could say, Hey, could we take a pause? Something's going on here. Could we stop and take a couple breaths? Would that work better for you than me suggesting the issue is yours? Because in our dynamics, you feel like I'm suggesting all the issues are yours. Who knows? Like there, there's all these subtleties to even getting on the same page that they, the regulation issues exist. How do you pause in a way that doesn't trigger you even further? And then what are the creative ways to help? support a system to calm down again, to relax again. Right. That's the big, big work. work. Yeah. There's yeah. A, a third bucket that they interact. So I, this is just my way. I'll throw this in if you're okay with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like couples to think in terms of when to put on what hat or when to reach into what skill set, which bucket of skills, buckets, hats, skills, like just use these interchangeably, right? Whatever works. And these are two of them, the communication skills and the regulation skills, right? Activation management skills. And the third is more the problem solving skills. Like it's not uncommon to see couples that are great processors. You know, they can sit down, they can emotionally work their way all the way through an issue, but they're not very good at what I call the boardroom conversations, like dealing with, Mm -hmm. you have to make everything. It's a different disposition, right? Like here, you're not getting into all the emotional depth and you're not pulling in your reactions and responses and you're not communicating. You're staying almost professional as Mm -hmm. look, we have this problem. Our problem is we don't communicate well. Our problem is, one of us orgasms too quickly or it can be deeply personal or it can be deeply impersonal. We spend too much money in our budget or we do have regulation issues and the ability to put on this different hat. That's just a problem solving hat. Well, let's, let's identify where we want to get to. Let's identify the different puzzle pieces that are in the way of us getting there. And let's identify some of the things that would help us to get there. And then let's talk about some possible solutions and then let's, 
negotiate some win-win that we could both agree to. And then let's actually execute and follow up on that. Like that set of skills is missing in most relationships. Mm -hmm. And this, I use this analogy that the same mule walks into their living room every couple weeks and, or every couple days and kicks them in the butt. And then they process about how sore their butts are. And they're really good at like, Oh, it's your butt feels this way. And I totally understand, (sighs) honey, I love you. And my butt feels this way. This mule definitely kicked us both in the ass. And now we totally understand. And they don't deal with the mule. They don't, step back and say, where's the meal come from and who's letting it in and where are we standing when it kicks and what do we have to do to get it out? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I might, I might use that. That's that's great. You're right. And that, 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 and the whole, in the whole world of actually couples therapy, honestly, what you just, I, 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 it's missing. missing. I feel like I I came, came, I've come, come upon that just in my own, Mm-hmm. trial and error and realizing, I mean, we call it having a, you know, our yeah. planning meeting where it's like, let's get the agenda mm-hmm. out. What's, what's mm-hmm. up, you know, because we don't have all, we don't have all the time in the, during the week to process, to not process, but to deal right. effectively with, with issues that are uh, plans and um, points of, of, uh, of just, Mm-hmm. dysfunction yeah. in our family life and uh let's sit mm-hmm. down let's sort it and if we don't right it's you you got you keep getting this fucking mule coming in and it keeps like, kicking your butt <laughs> whether it's the way you're coping <laughs> and your children and yeah. It's demoralizing. Yeah. yeah yeah i think yeah. it's one of the if couples can get those three skills and just keep developing them even start to recognize mm-hmm. when to put on which hat and to keep it on for a while, right? It's like, no, we're problem right. solving right now. We're not, we're not processing, right? We're staying with this all the way through until there's some sort of solution. If you, if your couplehood were a small company, it would have gone out of business several times over with the lack of steering, right? The lack of problem solving, the lack of collaboration. I really talk about it mostly as skills collab, like skillfully collaborating, right? Like, we need to sit down and collaborate around the frictions and the dysfunctions and the challenges that are facing our relationship. And it's a set of skills. And not only to make it all the way through, because a lot of you, they won't even to get to the possible solutions just as one Avenue, right? Like I have it all written up and it's a worksheet and I have them play with it until they get the skills. And they're like, okay, here's a solution. And one of them immediately shoots it down. It's like, well, that wouldn't work. Cause it's like, well, no, no, that's not the skill. The skill is just to think of several solutions for a little while and throw them out and spitball them. And there'll be a collective intelligence that'll emerge as you hear your partner solutions. It'll some part of your brain will say that wouldn't, but you know what would is this. And then you say it, your partner's like, that's brilliant. And then what if we added this and you get a bunch of possible solutions out there that's a skill set. And then to negotiate, well, I'd like it to be this. Well, in the power dynamics, in the only child dynamics and all the different dynamics that you're importing, can you actually negotiate for a win-win solution that you both feel really aligned with? And then can you execute, right? Can you, can you set goals and say when and who owns this and how are we going to report back and how do we know we're right? 
and can you be accountable if you're not doing it and be realistic and say, I bit off too much when I agreed to what I agreed to. And truth is I can only handle 30% of what I, you know, opened my mouth and agreed to last time we talked and that's on me. And there's a whole set of skills. They're not easy skills to develop, but they're necessary for relationship to fully mature. I love it. Yeah. So I'm just going to synopsize for the uh, <laughs> listeners here. Uh, it's, I mean, there's, there's just so much in each one of these, but just so everyone can, uh, can kind of contemplate this first, first skill is communication. Second skill is uh, regulation, mm-hmm. bottom up, like body-based regulation in the, in the couple system, in, 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 interpersonally, interpersonally. Third skill is uh, mm-hmm. problem solving and the art of collaboration. Yeah. And that, that you just got, you know, laid out. That's great. It's just great for, I imagine it's just great. It's great for me is in couple and coupledom. And I'm imagining it's great for all the, all the people out there navigating mm-hmm. coupledom to, uh, to, to be able to bucket and kind of recognize like, Oh, where, where are, where are my, where, where are our skill yes. deficits? Exactly. Basically. And then where, where, therefore, where do we need to actually put our, put yeah. our energy into Actually, we're great at regulation and all that, but God, when Raven was talking about the art of collaboration and problem solving, I was like, what? We exactly. don't do that. And that's, that's where yeah. the work is. And then they get to go out and practice their own edge. This has been so It was so fun. fun. And great. <laughs> yeah, it just flew by. And, uh, <laughs> I feel like at some point in the, in the not too distant future, it'd be great to do part two and uh, dig deeper into, you know, I mean, we could all spend a whole episode on, on any of these three, you know, mm-hmm. three skills, you know, just go, go into them, but uh, I'm going to have to call it, call yep. it for today. It was so lovely yeah. to see your face and to connect with you. And to, I like the style of just talking like most of the time, I was unaware of any other context that we're in. It was just like, ah, oh, it's Ryan, which is John. That's good. I appreciate that you do this. I hope that it serves many, many, many couples. And I look forward to connecting with you again. Yeah, got right. it. Take good care. Take care. How about that? I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I know I did. I could talk to Ray for, for hours. Um, definitely have him back on the podcast. Uh, would love your reviews. Go to wherever you're um, listening to this and write a review. Right? That's that's uh, how we'll build some listenership for this uh, little startup podcast. And uh, please check out. I don't know if we got that on the get that on the podcast, but inherentwisdom.com. That's Raven's website. And that's where you can find him. And visit me at www.ryangin.com for articles and to know what, what I'm up to, couples intensives and all that good stuff. All right, till next time.